So good. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning and to bring our third part of our Connected series. And I feel like I genuinely have a a word on my heart from the Lord. And so what I want to invite us to do is if we could just engage together for a moment in prayer. And I want you to pray for your hearts and the heart of us together corporately that we would be open to hear what the Spirit is saying today. So Father, I, I thank you for the power of the Word of God to penetrate and to illuminate the depths of who we are. I thank you that we are created in your image, that this room is full of redeemed saints. Thank you for those who are making decisions today to be born again and putting their faith in Jesus. We thank you for the supernatural work that is happening in people's hearts of regeneration and transformation. And we thank you that miraculous things are happening among us today. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your activity among us. And that even in the exchange of the word of God, that as the seed is scattered, that it would find good soil. And we pray right now for our hearts individually and collectively that Gate City Church would be a place of good soil. And as it says in the parable of the seeds and the sowers, that we, wouldn't, we ask God not just for a 30-fold harvest, not just a 60-fold harvest. We ask for a 100-fold harvest of fruitfulness from what is sown in our hearts today. Not because of my ability to articulate as a communicator or because of the quality of our production or worship, but because the Holy Spirit would be at work in our midst. So we invoke you, Holy Spirit, right now. Come down in power and visit us Anoint the word of God to change us and have your way in our hearts, again, individually and together, collectively in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians the last two weeks, and Ash did a really great job articulating four divisive obstacles. And if you have the notes, you can pull them up digitally, actually, if you'd like. And the QR code is right there on the seat back in front of most of you, unless you're in the front row. If you're in the front row, you can just bend your arm around and click that QR code, but it should be on every other seat, and you can snap uh, that with your camera and get access to our notes for the day. Uh, And and also that's available. Do we have a a place where people can text a number also or is that done away with now? Yeah, if you want to text today's notes to (laughs) 844-474-0713 or you can just do the QR code. But go ahead and pull those notes up. And I do want to tell you today that if you're a person that loves following the notes, I am not the preacher for you. But I am giving you these notes as a resource so that you can see some of the Bible verses that we're going to reference. And we love giving notes at Gate City Church. Almost any teaching environment that you're around, you're going to find that we, we give notes because our expectation is that you wouldn't just take what we're saying at face value. We want to give you an opportunity to take it away into your personal devotional time and actually study the Word of God for yourself. And so that's why we're pro- providing these notes uh, as a resource and also for further st- uh, study at a later time. So like I said, Ash had these four obstacles. They were the divisive obstacle of legitimate legal disputes that was in the Corinthian church, the divisive obstacle of temptation from the world, the divisive obstacle of specific questions around church practice, the divisive obstacle of questions in freedom and conscience. And then he gave a great connected solution that our solution for legitimate legal disputes is that we look 
lifting our eyes from our natural arguments and our natural places of dispute and see things with eternal perspective. The connected solution for temptation from the world is to remember the pain of our former life, to remember essentially the bondages out of which we came out of when we came out of the world system, came out of our proverbial Egypts, and to uh, resist going back into those temptations. For the specific questions around church practice, uh, like can we eat food sacrificed to idols, godly wisdom and discernment among the corporate body, and we do those things together, and then for the divisive obstacle of freedom and conscience, that same kind of question, um, how do Jews and Gentiles practice together when they have such different backgrounds? We live out our redeemed freedom so we have redeemed freedom, but we also give preference to those with weaker conscience. And I just thought that was an outstanding uh, description of many of the challenges that we face within the church, even presently. How many of you know that the kinds of things that went on in the early church, they're, they're going on today in the present in many different ways. And then, of course, we've continued to mention what we have put in front of you again today which are our core church commitments, and that's something new that we've been adding to our mission, vision, and values. So if you have this document right in front of you, pull it out, because I want to start there as our point of reference today. And I want to just share a little bit vulnerably from my heart where I am uh, even coming into this message. So if you have this document in front of you, it gives a few different glimpses of how we tell the story of who we are. So we have our mission statement, our why we exist, our what we do, which we say every single week on our video announcements from the place of night and day worship and prayer. We take the gospel from our neighborhoods to the nations. We make disciples of the whole family and go deep in the knowledge of God. And I just want to tell you, I love our mission. I love that we exist as a spiritual family to exalt the worth of Jesus. I love what we get to do. And today I want to emphasize how we live and I want to emphasize this element of core commitments that we are adding to the paradigm of how we live. And in a day ahead, we'll have these two things kind of side by side, what we're calling our behavioral values and our core commitments. And so if you flip over to the back page, you'll see in a moment, we're going to get an outline that actually has these two side by side. They, sh they should be thought of together as a representation of how we live. What, what I'm describing is our core church commitments, okay? So I just want everybody to do this with me. All right. So page one, you have core church commitments. Everybody look at that. All right. And then you can flip it over and then go to how we live on the back. Okay. And I want us to think those two things of how we live and our core church commitment, commitments, I want to talk today a little bit about the intersection between those two things. So let's start with just a brief description of how we live. And then as I said, I'm going to take some liberty from the notes, but I, I do want to kind of define this early on in the message there's an expression that I've heard several times when, when we talk about mission, vision, values. I have a friend who, who reminds me of this constantly, that clarity is kindness. Clarity is kindness. And when we put things in front of you in bullet point format in writing and we take time to describe it from the pulpit, it's because we want to do the kindness to our community of defining the, the level setting, baseline, starting line of where we want to be as a spiritual family, okay? 
I uh, recently have done some triathlons and I did a half marathon earlier this month, okay? So I've begun to kind of get into distance running and you'll hear that metaphor recurringly throughout this message because I've seen so many different ways in which you prepare for a race and the way that they run races as parallels to what we want to do in our church family, okay? And one of the things that they clearly do anytime you're about to start a race is they define the start and the finish line, okay? How many of you know without a defined starting line, the beginning of a race would be really, really messy? It would be super confusing. And in the case of long distance races, they actually have different uh, areas that are defined by the time in which you think you're going to run. So you can be grouped together with people that are that are, uh, you know who's going to be a little bit faster to you, those that are a little bit slower than you, and you look around and you, you see your peer group and see the people that you're gonna be running with, and, um, and you can see, you know, based on their fitness and the size of, their, of their, uh, their muscles, their quads, or their tummies, depending on what speed you're talking about, you can discern pretty quickly whether you're in the appropriate group or not. And so, I'm like, are they, you're kind of looking like, okay, is this the right group for me? Is this the 15-minute mile group, you know? I don't run a 15-minute mile. I run a 16-minute mile. <laughs> Just kidding. And so today I want to define a start line, okay? A start line so that we can all begin a race that we want to run together. We're talking about being connected, and you cannot be connected unless you're synchronized, right? You cannot be connected unless you know where we're all starting together. You cannot be connected unless you're all level set on the same floor, right? Unless you have the same baseline understanding about what is important and how we want to do that. And so what we did really well in the beginning of Gate City Church is we defined these behavioral values that describe the heart with which we want to do things. Because how many of you know the heart is really what's most important, okay? Not the checkbox of activities. But if you define the heart without giving people a context in which to express the heart, you're not giving them the kindness of clarity. And so, again, defining a start line... And then I want to define for us, if you'll give me permission today, I want to paint a picture after having defined the starting line of what the finish might actually look like for us as a spiritual family. And so the starting line for us, in terms of how we want to behave, the values with which we want to conduct ourselves, we put four down. And this week I had the privilege of spending time with actually, I had lunch on Tuesday with a business leader. I had a, a couple that are entrepreneurs and creatives in my home on Friday night. And then I had dinner with someone that started their own marketing firm uh, last night on Saturday night. And it, the conversations around our church, and I shared a little bit of my message with each of those groups over this past week. And one of the things that I was reminded of is that 90% of you in this room, probably even more, are going to have to go into a context that is not full-time ministry tomorrow and live out these values. So it's very important for you guys to know, even though many who are on staff here have the benefit of a, of a lifestyle that affords us constant consideration of the things that I'm saying, you are going to have to contextualize these truths for what it looks like in the C-suite if you're a corporate executive in your uh, classroom, if you're a teacher, 
at, at the, uh, in the counseling appointments that you have or in the medical appointments you have, if you're in the medical field, and whatever area that you're in, I believe with all my heart, you can express these values in your own unique way and you don't have to live bifurcated, meaning you don't have to live your priestliness only in the prayer room or only on Sundays or only on Wednesdays. You can be a priest in the marketplace and you can live abandoned in worship and passionate and fervent in prayer and we need fervency in prayer in whatever space God has put you. And you're not less than if you're in full-time ministry. I'm sorry, you're not less than if you're not in full-time ministry. Honestly, those of us who are in full-time ministry have it a little easier than those of you who are out there on, the, in some ways, the front lines of the culture, right? And so what we are to do, I think, as full-time ministers is to offer the gift of preparing a table so that all might come and partake, right? And that's what we want to do. We want to set a context. We want to have an environment where you guys can come and there's a 24-7 prayer room for you to engage in God and receive oil so you can take the culture of the kingdom back into whatever sphere God has entrusted to you. And I think sometimes we can be so missional and so focused on those in full-time ministry and what it is to live this unique expression of church that we're doing where many of us are in the prayer room 10 and 20 hours that we neglect to define the importance of living these values in the context that God has put you in uniquely. 90% of us being in some setting other than full-time ministry, right? But there has to be a discovery of what it means to express priestliness in that space. And I think that these values are values you can live in any environment, whether it's full-time ministry or not. And the reason why is because I believe they're biblical values. And Jesus gave us those values knowing that the vast majority of Christian history was not going to be people who actually got to live as full-time vocational ministers, So let's break them down briefly. So if you look at our behavioral values, number one defines how we want to live devotionally, which is fervent in prayer, abandoned worship, and committed to the word. And whoo, did we have some fervency and abandonment in worship this morning. I mean, it was so good to taste the heavenly freedom of the people of God, right? And I just want to tell you, I got a taste of it, but man, like let's take that freedom and that joy into whatever spaces God is calling us into this week. Because that freedom and joy is not meant to be defined only by the four walls of the church. God wants that river of joy overflowing into our homes and our families. If you're a mom, like let's put that worship on with our kids and let's teach them how to have that freedom in our living room and not just in our church services. And I think that's why we're here is so that we can, yes, preach and teach on a Sunday, be convened to hear the word of God, inspired, refueled, and then we can go and spend that fuel on the purpose of God wherever he would send us throughout the week. Second value, we want to live and lead from the feet of Jesus, which means that we are not a church that is program driven, we are presence driven, which means like it, it said of Mary of Bethany, she sat at the feet of Jesus and she heard his word. Martha was full of a busy, worried, and troubled spirit, right? And Jesus defends Mary of Bethany, her younger sister, and says she's chosen the best part and it's not gonna be taken from her because only one thing is needed. And while there may be many things that we do in life, right? Whether revival breaks out next week or not, my grass is gonna have to get cut. Okay. Unfortunately, we've had times where God moved powerfully in, the, in, in, in our midst by the, by the spirit and my grass continued to grow. 
I had to keep paying my bills, unfortunately, right? There's certain laws to <laughs> how God has ordered the world around us. And even in the times of the most powerful movement of God's spirit, he doesn't, he doesn't suspend the natural order. And what we have to do is bring our passion for God and our devotion to him and our spiritual formation and our discipleship. And it's, it's the glory of this life to navigate the weakness of a physical frame and the circumstances of life and all that divides our interests and still try to give God the very best. You know, Paul says that if you're married, you have divided interests between full-time ministry and the, or, or between the ministry of, that God would entrust to you and, and the interests of your family. Right, which means like I am not a success in God if, I, if I'm nurturing my ministry but my family is falling apart. And we have to attend to those dynamics and those tensions at all times in every season. And I believe this, to come back to the behavioral value, I believe that the key to navigating that tension is priorities. And if I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I believe it's from that well-ordered priority that all the other things in life can flow. And that while my grass may continue to grow, he will provide a way for it to be cut in the form of a very, very uh, skillful yard man who cuts the grass better than I ever cut it in my own strength. And so there are different ways that God provides for our natural means as we make passion for him, the priority, right? Like how many of you know the issue with Martha and Mary, that story, wasn't that Martha was trying to fix sandwiches, okay? Because there's certain times Jesus actually says, go prepare a meal, go to the upper room. It wasn't that Martha was trying to fix sandwiches. It was trying to fix sandwiches that Jesus didn't order. She was busy doing something that was less important than the opportunity to sit at the master's feet. And she goes, the one, and Jesus goes, the one who has the right priorities, I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor that person. I'm gonna help them protect what is most precious. There's a great song that Caleb Andrews, one of our worship leaders here, sings, and one of the lines says, I'm building fences around the precious and I'm breaking covenant with the worthless. Have we defended what is most precious and important in our lives with respect to God and our families? Or have we filled our time and occupied it with things that are less important? So we live and lead from the face of, feet of Jesus and that's the place where we find the right priority. And then we're devoted to spiritual family. You know, we've talked about this over the past few weeks. It, a commitment to a spiritual family is so central to the kingdom of God. We have our natural families that we wanna go deep and disciple. And as we do that, we bring those families into community with one another and we live from a, from a, a, a more holistic place as we live together deeply connected to one another. And then we lay down our lives from the lo- for the lost. You know, we can talk about the greatest commandment, but the greatest commandment is always meant to be expressed through the great commission. Jesus has promised that wherever you go in all the earth, I'm going to be with you. He said that in context to the assignment to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so when we are on mission with Jesus and on mission with our spiritual family, we are taking time and energy. I'm so grateful for the people that serve in our altar team that come up and support people that are making weekly decisions for Christ and they spend a part of their service out in the hallway answering questions, shepherding hearts, and giving guidance to people who maybe for the first time are saying, I wanna love and serve Jesus. 
right? The fact that we have a team of people that are willing to do that week in and week out is a testimony to how we live out the values of laying down our lives for the lost. And then we also have those that are going as missionaries to the hardest and darkest places through Gate City Global. And those that are going into places in the earth where because they're Christians, if someone were to know that, they would persecute them or expel them from that nation. Where it's actually illegal to do the very things that they're doing and they're doing it because they're willing to lay their lives down for the lost. So I love how we are called to behave, but I also want to give us clarity around the context, right? And so that's these core church commitments. So flip to the back and let's Go over those now if you're not there already. And I'll go over these very briefly and then I want to tie them into how we behave. So we're calling our entire spiritual family to consider participating weekly in the prayer room. And why we do that, if you're new here, maybe the first time you're hearing about this place where we do 24-7 worship prayer, I was describing it to someone that I was meeting with this week, and I said, yeah, we do 24-7 worship and prayer. And they go, so you have like a room that's open 24-7? I said, no, we have live worship-led prayer. Sometimes it's just someone on a violin, glory to God. But we have fire on the altar of people giving their hearts to the Lord in music and in worship 24-7, That means 2 a.m., 4 a.m., it means Christmas Eve, it means Thanksgiving, someone is here keeping what we describe as the fire on the altar burning so that people can be present in the room and there's a room manager present facilitating a space of encounter for the presence of God. And we've done that now for 16 years, 24-7 in this place. And that's not just a testimony to the staff who have been faithful to give their lives to that vocationally. It's also a testimony to the community, the several hundred who participate in our worship platform that are not vocational here. We looked at how many were in our, uh, we looked at, and it's funny because I'm going to talk about this in a moment, but this number keeps showing up for us, 148. We looked at how many were in our, we have a, a, a platform that we use for communication called Slack, and there's a channel in there that's all the people that are in our worship community. So it's people that help facilitate those prayer meetings that I'm describing. And there were 148 of them. And God has kept speaking Numbers 14.8 to us, and I'll get to that later in the message. But I just think it's so amazing. There are 148 people that are engaged currently in, in weekly filling those 84 prayer sets a week. If you are a musician or a singer who calls this church your home, or maybe another church is your home, but you want to use your gifts to magnify the Lord, there's a tryout process, there's an orientation and training process, and we will get you plugged in here, helping keep the fire burning from this platform. And if you have those gifts and that calling, we want to invite you today to participate weekly in the prayer room. It's not a finish line, it's a starting line, right? And if we don't give definition to it, nothing is a lifestyle. I don't believe anything can really be a lifestyle if it doesn't become a part of your weekly rhythms, right? And there are a lot of things that we add to our weekly rhythms. Like I know that my daughter's in a play right now. We added a weekly rhythm of having to take her to her performance every week and pick her up. And I'm expending hours of my time so that she can grow in theater, right? And I just want to challenge us. Those places are valuable and valid, right? But I want to challenge us as a spiritual family. We've added things like maybe a Sunday service to our rhythm or house church to our rhythm. But have you added that participation in the prayer room weekly to your rhythm? 
And if you, if you haven't, I want to challenge you, find that one hour for the wahow, is what we're calling it, the weekly one hour, one hyphen hour. I've gotten so many questions about this. I was trying to make it the wow hour, but I know you have to add the H, so it's waha. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> okay. And I like it that way because it's guaranteed now you won't forget it. So the weekly one hour watch, find that time where you put it in your weekly rhythm to be in this room. And I promise you, you're going to get addicted to the presence of God. I promise you what's one hour will become two hours, two hours become three hours. And admit you're going to find yourself up here on the guitar, adding flame to the fire that's been burning for the past 16 years. Join a house church or community group. We have a value that we're going to be devoted to family. You can't love people that you're not around. If you come to Sunday, right, and you get in at 10, 10, 10, 10, 15, I know what time y'all show up. And you come in for worship, you engage with the Lord, and then you go up to your brother and sister and say, hey, welcome, I'm so glad that you're here, you know. And then you sit down, you got your coffee, and you watch the video announcements, you give your tithe and your offering, and then you participate in a powerful word from the platform. You leave, you leave enriched, but you can also leave without actually building any relationship with anybody. Which means that in the hour of, of your hour of need or in their hour of need, there's not a connection that's been forged. Where do those connections happen? Well, they can happen in lots of different ways, but the easiest way we can build a corporate environment for those connections is house churches and community groups. And we're gonna define that more and more in the weeks to come. And my wife and I were even discussing this week, how can we become a part of a house church even in the midst of everything that we're doing in ministry because we are devoted, we have the value of being devoted to spiritual family. And then there is the element of gathering for Wednesday or Sunday service. And the reason we do that is because our services are an on-ramp for people to encounter the presence of God in our midst, for people that don't know Jesus to hear an invitation to get saved and born again, and for us to get on the same page as a body concerning the vision of what God is saying to our spiritual family. And so these are important times, two hours a week, of orienting us and taking us deeper together as a family. And I believe also that it is in these environments that we prepare a place where God can break in and do transformational things in our midst because we're bringing our hunger together and convening where where God can actually come and manifest his glory through healing signs and wonders. We also have this core value to give generously and serve faithfully. How many of you know nothing happens in our church environment if we do not have people that are willing to say yes to greeting at the door, to running cameras in the back of the room right now, to serving down in our children's ministry right now, to saying, yes, I'll be a house church leader. We have like 20 plus house churches and maybe a few hundred people in those house churches. None of that ecosystem exists if there aren't people who are willing to give up one night a week to host in their home. Right? And I'm not saying this to, I believe the vast majority of our community is probably engaged in serving, but I want to challenge you if you're in this room and you haven't been engaged in serving, then you're missing some. Not only are we missing your portion in our community, but you're missing a vital point of connection and blessing in your own life. Because I believe that when we take our place in the body, then we actually get to benefit from the strength that the body gives. 
And that can be uniquely tied. We have prophecy rooms. I'm so encouraged to see the prophecy rooms report. We have about 20 people that serve in our prophecy rooms. And they do about 32 appointments, I believe, every single week. They're ministering to hundreds of people every month, or a little over 120 people every month through being willing to pray and hear what the Spirit of God is saying and minister that word to somebody's heart. And I'm like, praise God. There are some in here who'd say, I feel like God has given me a prophetic gift or I want to grow in that. I'm so grateful. We have a place where in our healing rooms and our prophecy rooms, you can go and serve week in and week out and growing, hearing the voice of God and ministering to people in physical healing. There's so many amazing opportunities to serve in our community. And I think a lot of times people are just waiting for an invitation. So I just want to tell you today, Gate City Church, consider yourself invited. If you have been waiting for somebody to ask you, just come up to me at the end of the service and I will say, fill in your name, I would really like you to serve in the midst of our community. If you've been going, I've been here at the church for a while, but I don't feel like they necessarily need me to serve. I'm just here to tell you this morning, we would really like you to serve. In our children's ministry, our prophecy rooms, as a room manager, love to teach you to serve in production, love to teach you to, to serve on stage and sing unless you have a voice like mine. I actually have an okay voice. It's just not very good today because I've been screaming in a microphone all week in prayer. <laughs> so want to encourage you, right? There is a place for you in this body. And I want to say at the same time, I think what you'll get out of connecting here to this body is a vision for how you can serve in wherever God has placed you in the marketplace or in a sphere of education or in a sphere of entertainment, Right? We don't want to just use you for your gift. We want to bring you in, connect you, equip you, and send you out better than you came in. I'm going to talk about engaging globally, and then I'll come back to giving generously. So engaging globally is this idea that we as the body of Christ in the West have been blessed probably more than any other church ever in human history with more material wealth, with more access to technology, with more Bible-based training, you are literally living in the hour where you probably have more opportunity and less excuses than any other aspect of the church ever in human history. I mean, you can pull out your device. I don't have it on me. I left it over there. But you could pull out your phone and through version, you have a number of commentaries, devotionals, access to every possible version of the Bible in audio and reading. Yet we are living in the most biblically illiterate generation in America's history. So how do we have more access but yet less heart knowledge? And it's because we haven't stewarded what we've been given to actually give it away to others. I believe that resource has flown in, teaching has flown in, and it's, be, it's gotten into this religious cesspool in which we only view Christianity as something for our own life betterment rather than a place in which those things flow into our lives and then flow out of our lives to enrich the poor and the nations of the earth and the hardest and darkest places. If you feel stagnant in your life spiritually, where is the place of outflow where the gospel benefits are coming into you and coming out of you to another group of people? And I believe in the West, we shouldn't just be looking to our neighbors. We have to look to the nations. My wife and I spent seven weeks this summer in the nation of Kenya. 
And can I tell you, yes, they need our Bible equipping. Yes, they need uh, our training. Yes, they need us to send missionaries. But one of the number one things that we got to bring into that environment that served as a blessing was financial resources. We were able to raise money in two days because of the generosity of our community, money that would have been entirely impossible for the local community uh, uh, apart from greater miraculous provisions of God. I mean, God can do anything. But I think the way that God has prescribed for a lot of the nations to be reached is that the church in the West would provide training and resources and we would pray and we would do everything in our part to live missionally. If you're a doctor here, you can, you can my wife actually, her mother was a doctor and she did short-term missions. I think she probably did over 30 something short-term missions in her life. She was called as a medical professional, but she gave so much of her annual time to missions overseas because she had a vision for what God wanted to do in the nations. There is a way to use your gifts and your resources to further the gospel. And we have direct connections where there are real staff members from our church in East Africa, North Africa, the Middle East, Central America, and all those places are just waiting on people and resources. And and we have a 10 a.m. prayer meeting every single week that you can tune into virtually or you can come participate in if you're available. And you can come and pray on Wednesday mornings with us for the nations of the earth. We want to be a spiritual family that engages locally, but also engages globally. And part of that global engagement is to the hardest places that are most neglected. You'll hear this statistic that if you had a a $1 bill and that $1 bill represented all the giving uh, in, in all the United States that happens, all the transactions. I believe if I'm not mistaken, if you took one penny of that dollar, that penny would represent the missions, that penny would represent the missions giving that happens in comparison to the rest of the giving that happens throughout the body of Christ in our nation. So one penny goes to the nations, right? One-tenth of that penny goes to the hardest places in the nations. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, it's those hardest places that must be reached before the end can come. So are we looking at the possibility that we could take the gospel to the ends of the earth in the next 30 years? And that's something that missiologists are really telling us. And are we saying that's someone else's job or that's my opportunity? to give and to go and to pray. And we know everybody can pray, everybody can give. And we as a church, we're working hard to create short-term opportunities in the near future so that every one of us can go as well. Amen. So these are our core commitments. And if you look at how we want to live and what we want to do in our core commitments, and you look at the intersection of those things, I would say that that is a powerful starting line for the kind of race that we want to run. And I can see no better picture of it than in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I just want to read this to you, and we're going to put it up on the screens. This is after the Spirit has been poured out and the early church has been birthed. Thousands, 2,000 swept in at the preaching of Peter in a day. And it says of those new converts, Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So you see there our value of prayer and of worship, commitment to doctrine and the teaching of the word. And then it says fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. See, in the context of teaching and worship and 
being together in the breaking of bread and in fellowship, the spirit of God begins to fill those places where people are aligned in values and aligned in, in what they're doing. And it said, all who were believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among them all as to anyone who had need. And in this passage, we see a mindset where the people go, the material things that I have are not primarily just for my own consumption. The material things that I have, are for the, they've been given to me for the benefit of my brother or sister who may have need. It's for the benefit of the community. I, I like to think about it this way. There's such a consumer mindset that is in the millennial and, and Gen Z generation. I'm an I'm a, a, a old millennial. And I feel like there's such a consumer mindset because so many things have been marketed to people in a customized way. I mean, right now, literally, if you like, like say something abstract, like I'd like to go on a trip to Miami. It's like all of a sudden in my Facebook feed, it's like, would you like to go on a trip to Miami? Like, it's like, oh my goodness, like Zuckerberg is listening, okay? <laughs> There's a capacity right now to give you exactly what you want, exactly when you want it, and it's only feeding a consumer mindset. And not just that, I would, that it's appropriate for me to be a consumer, but that as a consumer, I should expect you to cater to my every need. And it's actually, we're being marketed to by these big businesses that are customizing their advertising to our needs and specifically speaking to our wants in very precise ways. And it's creating that same mindset that any environment I go into, you need to give me exactly what I want when exactly I want it. And that is a consumer mindset. And what I wanna challenge us to as the body of Christ is as disciples, we get to move out of a consumer mindset that would be death to our souls, I believe. And we get to move into a mindset that we are contributors. I bring value, I bring kingdom value into every place that I step because I have the resources of heaven, I have the word of God in my heart, I have the ability to pray and my father hears and I'm not here to consume, I'm here to contribute. And so I'm gonna hold everything in common which means what I have isn't mine, what I have is available to whoever around me has need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, so that we see they still, though they're going house to house, they still committed to that large gathering because the large gathering in the midst of the temple was a witness to the city. So they convened, and these signs, wonders, miracles are happening, and it says that they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. They had a spirit of worship on them, and they had favor with all the people. So what they were doing, the witness that they were creating, it wasn't just constrained to their own community. It was actually observed by the whole city. And people had favor. They'd go, man, it's, it's wild what's happening with these followers of Jesus. Like they're, they're unlearned fishermen, but when they speak, they speak with an authority greater than any of the teachers of the law. And when people who are tormented by evil spirits go among them. Peter's shadow falls on them. And when Peter's shadow falls on them, hey, bring your sick people real quick because if Peter passes in the vicinity of those people, there's something overshadowing Peter that when you get in his presence in the midst of temple worship or when he's traveling from house to house, there's something transformative just in the atmosphere around these people. But we can't create that context where God's glory can abide if we're not willing to show up and serve, if we're not willing to give, if we're not willing to, to build real authentic relationship with one another that's a witness, if we're not willing to be contributors instead of consumers, this is the starting line, beloved. 
People that study church will tell you that we're living in a declining time of church participation. More people select other <laughs> or none when when surveyed concerning church affiliation than any other time in American history, which in some ways is good because we're deconstructing those religious paradigms that brought death in the first place. But then part of the negative side is that there were a lot of things that have been assumed in the past that we cannot assume anymore. And so what we have to do is increasingly teach the word of God and model what it is that we're teaching in a way that actually gets into the lives of the people that have had no witness in their generation. And I believe as we do this and the spirit of God blesses, anoints, and breaks out in our midst, it says the Lord will add to the church daily those who are being saved. And we have seen that, beloved, in the past few weeks. I mean, we preached a, a series in the fall on how we were gonna be more intentional from going from our neighborhoods to the nations. And we have seen more decisions for salvation in the past six weeks than I've seen in the last several years in terms of our large service gatherings. My wife leaned over to me and she said, where are all these people that don't know Jesus coming from? And all I can think of is that you guys are inviting them that you actually took seriously what we asked you to do. And I'm telling you, if you'll bring your friends and your family that, are, that are, don't know Jesus, th- there might be a little bit of like, a, why are they sh- shouting, lifting their hands and just tell them it's okay, people do that at, a, at concerts and at football games, we figure we should do it in church. Because people are excited about Jesus. Because there's a presence in this place that can be felt and there's a king who's worthy of our worship. And we're gonna share the gospel in this place. And we're gonna share it multi-generationally, multi-ethnic in its expression. I'm up there, I, I almost failed Spanish in high school. <laughs> I'm glad we have Dustin who's fluent on our team. But I'm singing my heart out those Spanish choruses. I'm feeling the presence of the Lord and I'm like, I'm glad they sang it in English first. <laughs> so I know, so I can know what I'm singing. But, but we're gonna live out a multi-ethnic expression of church and I believe the presence of God is gonna bless it. I believe lots of people are gonna get saved and I believe the more of your unsaved friends and family that you bring to church, the more, the more these altars are gonna be filled and the, more, and the more baptisms that are gonna get to happen and the more lives that we're gonna get transformed and we're gonna see something awesome at Gate City Church as we lay our lives down for the lost, okay? But, and this is where again, the behavioral values and the core commitments intersect. If we don't convene and have ushers and greeters and coffee shop and video and amazing kids ministry, which is the number one thing that a lot of times people who are unchurched or not serving the Lord, the things that they look at, things that motivate them to come to church is they want a good place for their children to learn values. And so if we don't have people that are willing to be a dedicated worker and a contributor into that space, then we don't have an environment for those people to feel invited. And so again, as we lay out the vision of what it is for us to be church, you serving, us serving as a spiritual family is not like a, is, is not like a thing where we go, you should serve because the Bible says, or you should serve. What I want you to get a taste of is that serving is something that creates a setting in which the presence of God can come and fill. And if we are willing to play our part in that, if we're willing to be a brick in that, in that edifice, if we're willing to, to construct with our lives and our service and our sacrifice and our prayer and our worship and our participation, I believe what's amazing about this house is some churches will tell 
you, some churches will settle for you coming twice a week. And that's the point I was making earlier that I got a little away from, is that church people will tell you, in this generation where more people are selecting other than possible, if you can get the people that are in your church to come twice a month, those are the really dedicated people. Can I tell you, Gate City Church can't go where we're called to go in breakthrough revival and prepare it for the bride at the end of the age with people that are only going to show up twice a month. Most of you are here because you felt like you wanted to be called to something above the normal, average, everyday things that you're seeing. And I'm telling you, if that's a hunger that's in your heart, we are here to go higher with you. We're here to level set the foundation and then to go stratospheric into exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. So now having set the floor and set some of the foundation and maybe spoken to some of the things we want you to do, is it all right if I go a little stratospheric on us? Is it all right if I paint the vision for the finish line? Because this is really what burns in my heart. But I, I, I think we can't really successfully say we're going to run to win in these ways if we don't first level set the start line. Have you guys heard the starting line today? Just to say it again as plainly as I can, to participate in our prayer room in a way that is consistent and a part of your lifestyle. And we're saying we're inviting people to do that weekly, to join a house church or community group where we can live out what it means to be devoted to spiritual family to gather in our temple settings, which are Wednesday nights and Sundays, to give generously and serve faithfully and to engage globally and to engage with the lost in our city. There's the starting line. There's the starting line. Who wants to line up with me? (laughs) I'm ready, right? I'm ready. Okay, good. I'm gonna pray for us again real quick because really this is a two-part message and I wanna pray for part number two. Lord, I ask as we take the next 15 minutes and I unpack what the finish line can look like, I ask for a spirit of clarity and conviction upon our hearts and I ask for every place, even in my own life, where I am out of alignment with what it could mean to finish strong and to win, win this race. God, I pray that you would help me speak with unction. I pray that you would help, Lord, to uh, realign and reset people to run to win, not just run to participate. And I pray, Lord, where there has been, even in our culture, a religious mindset that has watered down our expectations, I pray that you'd break our boxes that we'd like to put you into and that you would be uh, the God of victory, the God of triumph, the God who sits at the right hand of the eternal Father in heaven. And I ask, Father, that you would break a spirit of religion off our minds and our hearts and you would give us a fervency and a hunger for you, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. So I just wanna be vulnerable about my own life. I've been taking inventory. I've been serving the Lord in full-time ministry since I was 21 years old. And I wanna confess something to you today that I am not particularly proud of, okay? And that is that I feel as though, though I am more mature in my knowledge of the Bible, more aware of the things of God, I'm not sure that I'm as hungry as I was when I was 21 years old. I think I was less sanctified, but more desperate for God in my brokenness. And I've been really inquiring of God, Lord, how do I rediscover that first love hunger? And I think it has everything to do with the vision that we adopt. Because what we tend to do is look at the people around us. I'd love to just give the comparison of like, I'm running this marathon race and I'm like, I'm in the 15 minute zone, right? And I look at the other people around me, I go, I'm in the 15 minute zone. I think I'm I'm probably gonna be number one in this group, right? 
I want to tell you, in my last race, I finished within the top 10 for the 37 to 40 age group. Thank you. Thank you very much. There were only 11 running. (laughs) But I did have a top 10 finish. And so there's... There's a way in which we compare ourselves among ourselves and begin to think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to. I'll say that again. We compare ourselves among ourselves. We think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Rather than weighing ourselves according to the standards of Scripture and going, am I living in what the Bible paints as the Christian life? When was the last time you led someone to Jesus? Because that should be a normal part of the Christian life. Who in your life are you discipling? Because if you don't have anybody you're discipling, then you're not doing the last command of Christ. I'm not doing this to put anything on you, as Ash has been saying. I'm talking to you to call something out of you. Real Christianity, which is what we're here for, right? We're not here to just hear a little Sunday message and then live the same the rest of the week. Okay, I came from a background that was steeped in religion. I used to participate in Wednesdays in vestry at my school. I would carry the cross as an acolyte. We would carry a Bible to the front. We wore the robes. The cross was hanging there. And can I tell you that I would go to church on Sunday. I would participate in chapel on Wednesday. And I would live like hell the rest of the week, okay? Some of you know what it's like to be in that space where you sprinkle just enough Jesus on the unsanctified life, Right? And sprinkle a little Jesus on it, it inoculates your conscience, and you live without victory. If I, if I sprinkled some sprinkles on a turd, would you eat it? No. <laughs> right? It's disgusting. But can I tell you the manner of life that I was living, but going to church on Sunday was disgusting. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you go, Jesus is my savior, but he's not your savior because he's not your Lord. You haven't submitted your life to him. You're not living according to the principles of the word of God. And you're not living not just the sins of commission where you're actively participating in sin, but the sins of omission where you're not doing the things the Bible's told you to do. When was the last time you wept in prayer? And I'm taking inventory of myself. And going, when was the last time your heart was broken for your family member that doesn't know Jesus? Because that's not the kind of Christianity I signed up for where I look at that and I go, well, they're going to hell, but that's okay. They don't have a relationship with God, but I'm not going to say anything because that would be uncomfortable. I want to take us to a scripture that I think really well defines what I'm talking about. It's found in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. If you look there with me. Continuing the metaphor of racing, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know? I'll wait, I hear Bibles turning. As you go to your U version, don't check that text message. Resist that temptation. <laughs> Stay with me. Now is not a time for the Facebook. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. These races that I've been doing, when I did the triathlon, it was the hardest physical thing that I've ever done in my entire life. I was not very well prepared. I'd been like training for the swimming part by swimming in a warm indoor swimming pool. They put me out in a lake (laughs) in the cold and I had to swim a mile and a quarter and I was struggle bussing that last mile of the, of the swim. I swam the quarter and I went, dear God, I'm not going to make it. And I literally just did the backstroke, but I made it. All right. 
I made it. And uh, the person that I was racing with, which is kind of remarkable, I, this is like my first race, but there, uh, I'll actually call them out. It's Nathan and Lisa Camp. Nathan helped me train for it. But don't take any of my stories as an indication of his quality as a coach. And, um, but Lisa's father, is a, I'm going to talk about your dad for a minute, Lisa. He's a world champion triathlete for his age. And, his, and he won for his age group in this particular race. And Nathan was like, yeah, we're not going to be able to keep up with him. You know, and he's, how old is he? 72 or something? 77. So he's 77. And he, that man, and I was like, so do you have any tips for me like today for my first race? And he's like the guy that's like everybody like respects and loves him. Like when you walk around with him, it's like you're with a celebrity. I'm like walking around like brand new. I was like, hey, good to see you. I got your autograph. Like, and, um, and so I was like, What's it, what advice would you have for my first race? He was like, have a good time. Like take it easy because there's much more opportunities f- for more races in the future, you know, and just, and just participate at the level that you trained. And I was like, that was good. It was encouraging. But I recognize as someone who's done probably more triathlons than he can even count, he doesn't run with a view to participate like I do. Right? He runs as one who has disciplined his body to win the race. And the mindset is entirely different. And so what I want to ask you today as a Christian is, are you participating or have you trained yourself in your mindset? Like Paul describes here, I'm running to win the prize. I'm running to be the most godly person I know. I'm running to be the hungriest Christian in my entire church. And can I tell you, hungry is not just a personality type. Ben Malasa, who just did the, the weekly one hour watch, he is one of the hungriest people I know in God. And his hunger expressed itself like this. That's what Ben's hunger looks like. But he's in this prayer room 20 hours a week, faithfully going deep in the word. And I tell you, he'll drop prophetic bombs on you from that place of. And that's just Ben's personality. One of the things he loves to do in his free time. Sorry, Ben, I'm outing you a little bit. Is uh, is he even here in the room right now? Um, He loves to dig for buried treasure in his free time. So like my, my mom had a farm where there had some civil war things had happened. So he loved to go out there with his metal detector and look and then get down in the dirt and like dig, you know? And like, that's what Ben is like in the word of God. Like he's in there just do, 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 looking for revelation, looking for treasure. He's very quiet. And then he gets down in the word and he digs it out, right? And there's no better person to teach us about how to engage in the prayer room because he's desperately hungry for more of God, though you might not recognize that hunger in his personality. And so we might all have different personalities, but it doesn't matter what your personality is. What's your internal inclination towards the Lord? Like, are you leaning inward going, there's more for me? Or are you going, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run better than, uh, than Fatso over here. <laughs> right? Oh, don't act like none of y'all ever. Oh, people. Oh, yeah. I'm giving an example of the carnal way that we think. I'm not endorsing anyone to think that way. So everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. 
He's using a metaphor saying, you know, you understand what it's like to run a race. People that run races, they run to win when you're running to win a race. I mean, the amount of preparation that people have to do if they want to be a world champion triathlete is staggering. But people do that for a perishable crown. How much more should we as Christians be disciplining ourselves and our appetites, focusing our hearts and our desires on the person of Jesus, living hungry and desperate? Because if we live that way in glory, there is a crown that will be placed upon your head for living wholeheartedly before the Lord. He goes, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Okay? And I will tell you this, the biggest thing that I learned about that race that I was entirely unprepared for was that I had to mentally set myself to complete it. I mean, I had to swim 1.4 or 1.2. I had, to, I had to bike 68 miles. That's right, 68 miles. And then I had to run 13.1. That was the furthest I've ever swum, ever, the furthest I've ever biked, ever, and the furthest I've ever run it, and I decided to do it all in the same day. <laughs> I had to set my mind <laughs> to complete the race, and I completed it way slower than, uh, than Nathan did or his, or his father-in-law did, but I finished, and it was because I didn't run with uncertainty It's because I resolved myself, I'm going to finish. And for the next level, I'm going, God, teach me what it is to have a victorious mindset that refuses to be content with just participating. I'm not concerned about whether I actually win or not, but I want to have the mindset of someone who trains that that might be in the realm of possibility. Then he gives another metaphor, and you guys are going to think I'm, I was preparing these sermon illustrations in order to preach this message, but I promise it just kind of happened. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Well, I was out running one day, and I saw in my mind's eye a picture of me boxing, okay? And I haven't told anybody of this. I've kept it pretty much on the down low. But I actually, that week, I asked a friend who does some boxing, and I was like, hey, I know you do some boxing. Could you teach me a few things? Because I kind of had this mental picture, and I think maybe from God. And... And he goes, well, I'm about to start boxing lessons. Do you want to start taking boxing lessons with me? So for like the last 10 weeks, I have been doing twice a week at 5.45 in the morning, Muay Thai kickboxing and boxing lessons, <laughs> okay? And what I've learned about, about uh spiritual principles from these boxing lessons has been staggering, Okay. I can tell you what I looked like when I first started. I looked like someone who beats the air, (laughs) right? I did not know what it was to set my body, ground my legs, and actually throw a punch from the feet up. And through the process of learning how to actually technically throw a punch, block a punch, throw a kick, I've discovered a little bit greater the meaning of what Paul says when he says, I don't fight as one who beats the air. Man, when you make contact with that punching bag or you make contact with that person that you're sparring with, right, it's an entirely different sensation than to, to kind of beat the air or shadow box. And what it's all about is having to fully extend the force of your entire body into accomplishing that blow. 
And the question I sense the Lord asking is, have you, have you formed your Christian life to be a blow to the kingdom of darkness or are you fighting as someone who beats the air? And he goes, are you disciplining your body? Are you actually conditioning yourself so that when you throw that punch, you can do violence to the kingdom of darkness? Jesus said that when the evil one comes, he has no part in me, right? Are we living in that mindset of victory using the full force of what God has given us to express destruction against the kingdom of darkness? Some of us are having a hard time living victorious. The enemy's coming, he's plundering our junk, and it's because we haven't learned to submit to God and then resist the devil. And you're still fighting like one who beats the air, and it's time to graduate from that place of and actually learn to pray in a way that lands a punch, to rebuke the enemy in a way that actually gets him out of your business. Because there's a real kingdom of darkness, a real one who's looking to kill, steal, and destroy, and we're still having trouble getting everybody to church on time. And that's, again, no condemnation. I'm just defining the starting line and the finish line. And Paul asked the question, right? Do we run as those who, who don't wanna win? Are we going to fight as those who beat the air? No, we're going to discipline ourselves just like any champion boxer is going to discipline himself. I actually met Evander Holyfield once. He was really strong and really nice. Godly dude. You could feel the sense of he was a world champion for those who are younger than me. He was a world champion heavyweight from Atlanta, Georgia. And even in his presence, you could tell there was a strength, a physical strength that came uh, from his lifestyle of boxing. Okay, now I want to get to the very last bit, and I know the worship team is coming up, but just, I'm going to tell you a story that I want to close with, because I want to make everything I've said, like, super practical and relevant. So I mentioned Numbers 14.8. Go there with me right now, if you could. If you're in the notes, or if you're in your Bible, just Numbers 14.8. I'm going to tell you the story leading up, and the story right after, and then we're going to invite people to stand and to pray. I've been using this term victorious Christian living. It actually came from a conversation that I had with a, a young man. We were at a retreat together. He was describing how he grew up and all the difficulty and challenge within his family. And he said something that touched my heart. It was very sad to me. And what he said was, he said, my family growing up, they were saved, but they'd never learned to live victorious. And that immediately resonated with me because I feel like I've encountered a lot of people and even have been in those seasons myself where there's besetting sin of anxiety or challenges in finance or issues with relationships, forgiveness, bitterness, ways of thinking that are carnal. And it's like those things just carry over from situation to situation and people never seem to be able to break free of the bitterness or free of the anxiety or free of the poor financial stewardship or free of the anxiety. And they're living in a place where they're saved in the sense that they're, they're submitted to God and they're trying to serve him, but continually in a place of brokenness and weakness because they've never got a paradigm that says, I will live victorious. I am, I'm going to win this race. And in Numbers 14, we see a picture of the people of God who have come right up to Cana come right up to the promised land and they're about to enter in and they get the testimony of the spies back and 10 of them give a bad report and two, Joshua and Caleb, give a good report. And the 10 spies who go into the land and Joshua and Caleb, they all see the same thing. The land is filled with giants. It's filled with enemies. The situation is very difficult. If we go into that land, we may be slaughtered. We may be defeated. And Joshua and Caleb look at the situation where the 
the 10 spies say we are as grasshoppers in our own eyes. And they say the things that are said in Numbers 14.8. They look at the land of promise and they say, if we will not be fearful and if we will not rebel, then God will bring us into the very things that he's promised us. And they say those in the land, the protection has departed from them and they will be as prey to us. There's actually three different terms that are used. Prey, they will be devoured by us and we will, uh, they will be our bread. All three of those are depictions of absolute victory. And they're saying the same thing that the God who just brought us out of Egypt wants to do. He wants to do the very same thing he did to Egypt. He's going to do these nations that are before us. And they're in such fear and unbelief that when the promise of God is presented to them, they say, let's appoint another leader. Let's kill these guys. Let's go back to Egypt. And just as they're picking up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb, God interrupts with his glory and with his presence. And because of the rebellion of their hearts, he pronounces judgment on them. And he says that you who have, uh, you have rebelled against me this day in unbelief, you're, you're not going to enter the land of promise. And they get frustrated and they go, no, we will go up. And they go without the tabernacle. They leave the presence of God behind and they go up and they try and enter in in their own strength. In one situation, they're passive and withdrawn. In the other situation, they're trying to move forward in the arm of the flesh into God's promise. How does this connect to the victorious Christian life? Well, if you look at Hebrews 13 and 14, the entire context of that passage is today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness in unbelief. But instead, living a life of obedience to God, you enter his rest and enter into the land of his promise. There is a place of victory for Gate City Church that is not individual victory, it's corporate victory. It's actually us crossing a finish line of gospel shalom, rest that restores and makes whole. And we can enter into that rest together if we were resolved to run together as a people who are sanctified, wholehearted, with the word of God as our standard, living out these commitments, living out these behaviors with intentionality, going hard after God, not just participating, but competing to win. And in my own heart, I'm going, God, what does it look like to set a mindset like Joshua and Caleb had? God, I will not be refused. I'm going to enter the fullness of your promise, the fullness of gospel promise, because that is what the word of God tells me is my inheritance. And Rolando made a great point earlier when we're processing this. Later on, Caleb, after all the other peoples had inherited their land, Caleb said, no, I want to go into another land of giants, even in his old age, and I want to take the land there because I will get everything that has been promised to me. Do we look at the promises of God and say, I'd rather go back to Egypt? Because yes, if you want a victorious Christian life, there's some generational giants that are going to have to fall. If you want to see the promise of God in our community, there's some spiritual strongholds you might have to land a punch to. There might be some places where you have to resist sin like you've never resisted sin before to get unstuck in that place that for three generations your family's been stuck. I'm going to break the pattern of divorce and addiction in my life. I'm going to run in that area with a vision to victory. 
And that's not to condemn anyone that has those things in their life or in their past. That's to say the word of God has invited us higher by God's grace and he's called that gospel rest, a land flowing with milk and honey. And your adversaries will be as bread to you, pray to you, devoured by you, if you will just say yes to God's invitation. I was watching last night with my daughter. I just got to get this one last point in and then we'll invite people forward. I was watching last night, The Way of the Cheetah. And The Way of the Cheetah is on Disney Plus. You can go, I know a bunch of people are going to go click on it and watch it. Don't do it right now. Okay, hold off. The Way of the Cheetah is about five cheetahs that learn to hunt together. Cheetahs normally hunt in isolation, but they're able to take down much bigger prey because these five cheetahs are hunting like lions. And they're taking down like big, like big animals together and they're super fast and they're taking down their prey because they're, they're hunting together the schemes of the enemy. And I was just going, that's gotta be a prophetic picture for tomorrow's message. That if we will together uproot the schemes of the enemy in our lives in a way that's even unusual in this present generation, if we will have each other's back, we are going to take down things that have been giants in the land and strongholds for generations. And I'll just give this last warning because we can, we can be excited about that right now. But if the warning is today, if you hear God's voice, respond to what he is saying, because if you shrink back, you might end up in the wilderness another 40 years. There's a real warning there. We should fear God. He and his kindness and generosity, his presence is among us. His spirit is here. People are saying yes to Jesus. Let's, we, can, we can be excited about that or we can decide we're going to participate in that. And say what we've defined as a start line and then what we've defined as a finish line. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish what I start. And I'm going to go all in. I'm going to be wholehearted and I'm going to live victorious. And we're going to do that together. It's the way of the cheetah. Let's stand together. I know we're a little over. Thank you for letting me share my heart with you today, Gate City Church. So if you'd say today, you heard what I said, that God has convicted you and you recognize there are places, if you need to go get your children, feel free to do that. But you'd say, I I need to surrender my life to the Lord in a deeper way today. And I need to have a vision for victory, not just participation, but what it means to run to win. What it means to actually say yes in a deeper way to the move of God in my life. That we wouldn't just come up to the borders of the promised land and stop because of fear or difficulty. But we would say yes to the gospel invitation to come into the, to come into the grace and the rest and the victory that Christ has afforded us. If that resonates with you and you just want someone to pray for you, I invite you to come forward now. Just respond all across the room. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God, that you are ridding us of complacency and lukewarmness. I thank you, God, that you would invite us with a, to a greater sincerity and depth of hunger. And I pray, Lord, that you would give a vision for victory in this, in this house that we would be the people of God who enter the fullness of God's promise and that these core commitments and these values that we've defined, that they would be a starting line, but I pray a high vision for what it means to finish. And I pray we would begin to run to win, God. 
I pray, Lord, that you would show us what it means to have victory among our children, to have victory in our personal purity, to have victory over generational strongholds, to have victory. I declare in the name of Jesus that this house lives victorious from every form of addiction. I pray to have faith to overcome every kind of disease. I pray, Father, that there would be no peace with demonic infiltration in our minds and hearts. Oh, God, that you would give us a vision to live free from the influence of the kingdom of darkness in this house. I pray even right now that the blood of Jesus would begin to wash away guilt and shame. I pray, Lord, that places of bitterness would begin to be uprooted. I pray Holy Spirit power would fall on people in this altar right now and their hearts would be changed. The places regarding sin where eyes need to be plucked off and hands need to be cut off. Spiritual violence needs to be taken place against the areas of transgression. Oh God, put a hunger in us. God, loose your fire in this altar right now. Oh Holy Spirit. Oh Holy Spirit. Oh Holy Spirit. Put a vision for victory in our hearts. Put a vision to have that garland placed on our brow by Jesus. Have a vision in us, God, to land punches to the kingdom of darkness. And for those, Lord, where they feel as though they've been asleep and they're waking up from the, from the, sl- from the sleep and the sloth that sin puts on the soul. God, I pray even right now there'd be an awakening in their spirit. I speak to your spirit in the name of Jesus to rise up and be strengthened. I speak to your spirit right now in the name of Jesus to receive power from the presence of God. I speak to your spirit to enter into the victory that the cross has purchased. Resurrection, power in people's lives. Freedom from fear. Freedom from lust. Freedom from anger. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from covetousness. Freedom, God, in every place, in every heart in this room.